This is the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU. My name is Maximus Hunter. And I'm Ren Wadsworth. And we're joined in studio by our lovely reporter, Kona Babcock. Dixon Lawson. Is our awesome sportscaster. Um, this is going to be, without a doubt, the biggest show we've ever done so far. We have a lot of wild stuff going on, and I think uh, we might as well start small and work our way up, Ren. So the, the first piece of big news is we have a uh, new sports guy named Joe who's done a pre-recorded sports piece that we're going to be playing today, and that's pretty exciting because that's his first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be cool. We've got Coda doing our local news. Um, then Dixon is going to take it away with some more sports. And after that's when things are going to get really interesting. So we've got um, Joel Silverman, a professional dog trainer, coming on the show to talk about dog training with new dogs, and especially for college students, uh, some good tips and tricks. And after that, um, we, as many people know, uh, CSU was the site of a, an incident last week that caused a national news. Um, Several students posted a picture to Snapchat uh, in masks with a caption that other students deemed racist. The picture was spread around, and uh, the conversation on campus has been going on surrounding that for the last week. And uh, as student media, we feel a responsibility to be a part of that conversation and to talk about what we as campus can be doing. Uh, with that in mind... We uh, have sat down with a professor from Princeton University, uh, Dr. Will Penman, who specializes on talking about race and racism and a history of racism with white people. And he has had some really fascinating insights that we're going to be sharing with you and discussing this posting. So we've got all that coming up and more today. Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to stay tuned. So coming up first, we're going to have uh, Joe's very first sports broadcast. And Joe has a very unique position. It's the first time it's ever been here on KCSU and on the Rocky Mountain Review. So he's going to cover some lesser-known sports, so a little bit of a difference in what is usually covered by sports. So, yeah. Yep, we're going to be coming to you with that one in just one second. Um, In the meantime, Coda, do you want to do our local news? Uh, yeah, sure. All right, so to start out, I'm Coda Babcock again, and this is your local news for Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. Our first story takes place in Larimer County, which, in which they reported that the McNay fire is now 77% contained out as of Monday night. The fire was burning just 30 miles of north, northwest of Fort Collins, and according to CBS Denver, the fire prior to containment forced residents near Redfeather Lakes to go through voluntary evacuation. The fire started as a car fire and has burned between 500 and 600 acres of land so far. Evacuations have ended, and containment of the McNay fire went up by about 40% in under 10 hours. Then for our next story, uh, Chuck Hickey from KDVR, uh, Fox 31 Denver, reported that yesterday that police arrested a man south of campus for burglary and sexual assault. According to the press release from Fort Collins Police, the victim contacted police a little past 2 a.m. to report that a stranger had broken into her home and committed the crime. The suspect was identified as Tanner Cook after officers were able to locate and arrest him. He's facing two Class three felony charges. Anyone with more information on this case or any others that may have involved Cook are encouraged to contact Detective Mike Harris at 970-221-8000. 
888-666-6543. To report anonymously, please call Crime Stoppers of Larimore County at 970-221-6868 or visit www.stopcriminals.org. And then for our last case, our last story today, Larimer County reported this Sunday that a burglary suspect was apprehended after several people reported that a man was punching cars and then on the door of a residence. Later, it was also reported that he broke into that same residence. Deputies in Larimer County Regional SWAT both made attempts to contact the suspect without success. At 8.32 p.m., SWAT made entry into the home with the help of canine units. The suspect didn't comply with officer requests, so a canine was used to help in physically apprehending him. The man was identified as Brandon Oler, a Wellington resident, and he was taken to a local hospital to treat injuries from the canine unit and from breaking into the house. But he was later transported to Larimer County Jail. He's facing one felony and three misdemeanor charges. That was your local news for Tuesday. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU 90.5 FM. Thank you so much, Coda. That was fantastic. Uh, I'd be terrified if someone was walking around punching cars. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I cannot even <laughs> takes, imagine. Uh, it takes a guts? lot of strength. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> guts is a good word for that, too. Bugs and painkillers as well. Like, no way you wouldn't be feeling that after one or two. Oh, yeah, no. Oh my gosh. He's, he's training to be a transformer. I do really like that the police uh, report, like, clarified that he was not just getting treated for the dog injuries. They were like, oh, yeah, he also, like, definitely harmed his hands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he would. Um, so we're going to have, thank you so much for that, by the way, Coda, really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to have Joe Nemitz with his first ever local sports cast. So get ready, Fort Collins, because Joe is here with the show. This is Joey Nemitz for the Rocky Mountain Review with your local sports segment for 90.5 KCSU. Time for some record-breaking news. Kevin Little of the Coloradoan reports that Kevin Conlon, a cross-country runner at Fort Collins High School, broke a 30-year-old 5K race school record at the Liberty Bell Invitational on September 7th. Conlon finished fourth in the race but broke the record that was 15 minutes and 21 seconds and recorded a time of 15 minutes and 9.5 and seconds. The Windsor Wizards lost a heartbreaker of a football game to the Ponderosa Mustangs. Kevin Little of the Colorado One reports the Wizards, who were ranked number 10 in 4A, were defeated by the number 8 Mustangs 24-23. The Wizards went for a two-point conversion to win the game and they failed to convert. To Rockwell Local Sports, Kevin Little reports for the Colorado One, Rocky Mountain High's football team nearly pulled the upset of the number 7 ranked team in Colorado 5A football, Eagle Crest. Rocky Mountain High ended up losing the game 27-20. Rocky Mountain High's quarterbacks Giles Puller and Noah Nancy combined for 151 passing yards. This has been Joey Nimitz for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU for Collins. Thank you, Joey. That was fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> Especially for a first one. Yeah, no, we're, we're really proud of Joey. You know, he's, he's going to be stepping into kind of a new role. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully he's going to be able to cover some of the more high school sports and, you know, some of those other things around CSU that we don't really get to. Yeah. So we're looking awesome. good things for him. All right, on. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to have professional dog trainer Joel Silverman on the line with us talking about how we can better raise dogs. So stick around for that. We'll be right back on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And we are back with the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. I'm Maximus Hunter. And I'm Ren Wadsworth. And we're joined in studio with our local reporter. And our sports director. Dixon Lawson. 
Awesome. And we have a very special guest on the air with us today. Joel, you mind saying hi? How you doing? Joel Silverman here. Doing well, Joel. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me. Right on. So uh, for those at home who may not know, would you mind uh, describing your background a little bit? Um, yeah. my uh, Actually, uh, I had one of the very first shows on Animal Planet called Good Dog You. It aired from... Um, 1999 to 2009, and um, it was uh, one of the you know very first shows, and it was host. It, I started on the show, and with my dog uh, Duke on the show. Oh, and cute. Uh, that aired for about um, yeah. So I did that for about uh, ten years, and of course um, there was a Chase Bank commercial that aired um, recently, about four, about four or five years ago, uh, with a bunch of dogs rolling over, and I was I was featured in the commercial. It was uh, Serena Williams was featured in one, and oh, I was cool. featured in one, and um, that was me as well. And um, so, and I've written books. So I'm, a, I'm considered a celebrity dog trainer, and um, but I've also uh, teach um, launched a series of dog trainer certification courses recently. So I'm I'm all over the United States. As a matter of fact, I was just very close to you guys last week. I was speaking at a national conference at the, um, the um, International Association of Canine Professionals at the uh, in Colorado Springs um, last week. Oh, very Actually. close to us. Yeah, it's right in your backyard. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we uh, we were thinking since we have the opportunity to have you here and this is a college radio station, um, mm-hmm. we were going to ask a few questions about uh, dog training trips t- or tips for college students. Since uh, I know I have a dog, and especially when you're in college, it can be pretty tough to manage training Train a dog them, yeah. and mm-hmm. being a student. So um, we were just gonna gonna shoot you a quick a few behavior questions, if that's okay with you. Oh yes. I, and I love speaking at colleges, by the way, you guys, just so you know. Awesome. Aww. Well, we love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what what are some things that causes uh, dogs to, you know, bark at the door, bark at the fence, uh, just just bark loudly at the neighborhood around, and how could that <laughs> potentially be fixed? That's a, that's a problem I actually have with my dog plenty. Well, the thing is, what I, what I try to explain to people, especially one of my books, my, one of my newest books called More What Colors Your Dog. I wrote my very first book is What Colors Your Dog, and there's another one called More What Colors Your Dog. And we talk, in Chapter 9, we talk about uncontrolled environments. And these are environments where you're not actually training the dog. The dog is on its own, whether it could be, you know, a, a, little, a little, I always like to say a little Jack Russell sitting on the back of a couch staring out the window barking, for uh, example. My dog's half chihuahua, half Jack Russell. Right, exactly. Or, uh, or uh, jump. You know, somebody comes in the house. You know, jump. Somebody jumps up on your desk at the front, the front door. Um, you're d- walking with your dog. Your dog starts lunging and barking. These are uncontrolled environments because you're not you're not training the dog to sit, stay, lie down. You're just basically he's you know at bay. So letting letting your dog play out those actions is reinforcing to your dog. Your Jack Russell getting the opportunity to bark is in itself reinforcing. Your dog jumping up on people, letting your dog complete those actions of actually putting his feet up is reinforcing to your dog. That is the payoff, okay? So what we need to do is find a way to interrupt the behavior and not let that behavior happen. At the same time, we also want to try to prevent the behavior from happening. So preventative training and then interrupting the behavior, those are two types of, two different types of things. I'm, I'm a huge fan of crate training. You train, you know, uh, train a dog to be in a crate for short periods of time or for periods of time. Um, dogs are den animals. They like being in dens and closed areas. If you can condition your dog to being in the crate, um, being in that crate will not give your dog the opportunity to be in that situation where you can get on the couch and, you know, you know, bark at people when you're not there. Um, if your dog is in a crate, you're great. It's great for housebreaking. It's great. And the reason I brought it up, it's great for college students because a lot of college students, 
you know, they've got classes and they live near the they, they live near the university. So what they could do is they can go, you know, do three or four hours, come back, let the dog out, exercise the dog, play with the dog, whatever, put the dog back in, you know, give the dog and give the you know dog you know another hour or two, whatever, um, you know, go back to class and stuff like that. So crates uh, crates are really really good and essential, especially um, for people that are um, students. You know, they've got dogs. So um, that is so. In, in answer to your question, though. Letting your dog play out those actions is reinforcing. So you need to find a way to interrupt the behavior, but you need to interrupt the behavior in a way that does not hurt, scare, startle, or jeopardize the relationship with the animal, but gets the message across. Right. So it could be a flat collar you put on a dog. It could be a head collar. It could be a training collar, any type of thing. But we need to interrupt the behavior and not let that behavior happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I know it's a long answer. No, like, no, it's a <laughs> thorough answer. <laughs> Yeah, so going off of some more college-themed things, uh, we're all college students, we're all on a budget, so what are some affordable ways to keep your dog on a healthy and diverse diet? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, it's the one thing that I think that it's important for people to not skimp on is um, the diet. If you want to skimp on other things, you know, with the, with the, with the pet, maybe with the toys and things like that, you know, that's one thing, but, you know, Pets are just like us. You know, we want to be eating healthy, and they need to eat healthy as well. You know, really, really super important. And I am I've, I've fed Bill Jack food. I people know him for about 30 years I've been doing this. Um, Bill Jack dog food. I've been feeding him Bill Jack for years. I use her treats. Um, and it's just because of the way the food is made. It's slow cooked in small batches. And what happens is the proteins cannot be destroyed. Uh, they cannot be destroyed. The proteins can't be destroyed as much because of the fact that they're cooked at low heat. A lot of, at low heat, a lot of the dog foods that are out there, they're cooked at high heat. And again, the proteins, the amino acids and things like that, they, um, you know, it jeopardizes those, those things at the higher the heat. So that's one of the reasons I, um, I feed that food. So I tell people all the time that, you know, you have a choice of food out there. There's a lot of different types of foods that, but, you know, really, really want to make sure that you do not um, skimp on the food. And as I said, I just, I, it's just, Bill Jack is a food that I recommend and I tell people just, you know, give it a try and see, see how, how your dog likes it, you know. Right on. Thanks for the tip. Um, yeah. So, like you were saying earlier, college students, uh, big difficulty college students often have with raising a dog is scheduling. And, um, you know, students, students often have jobs and classes and lots of responsibilities, and they still want to, you know, have a productive and healthy relationship with their dog. Uh, what are some things that a, a college student can do to ensure their dog's getting a good amount of exercise? Well, the one thing you want to do is make sure, first of all, um, obviously, you know, a, a simple answer would be, just to, you know, to make sure you walk your dog. And I, I would say, especially college students, three times a day, especially if your dog's going to be in a crate um, or, a, or a pen, you know, like, a, a, you know, a pen for um, a wire pen, you know, for, you know, three times a day or whatever. You know, you want to get up in the morning, make sure you walk your dog, make sure you walk your dog at lunch, you know, make sure, and then, you know, after school, make sure you be able to spend the time with your dog, um, walking with your dog, even when you're studying and things like that, making sure that the dog, you know, is with you, obviously, is out, is, you know, is out with you. Um, the walking of the dog, here, here's, here's what I recommend people do. You know, the thing that's really interesting about college students is they normally have a huge network of friends and people. And what I think is kind of cool is that, you know, once you've met some people and, and people have maybe even other dogs and things like that, it might be a situation to where you guys help each other out, you know, and maybe people do help each other out. And you say to yourself, gosh, you know, I'm going to school, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my afternoon free, but yet I'm going to school in the morning. 
but yet the person that has a dog is it's vice versa. And so you could basically go and they could say, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll take your dog for a little walk, you know, whatever in the afternoon if you can take my dog for a walk in the morning, you know, type of thing. So I think that to me, if I, and I, you know, I never really went to college, so I don't, <laughs> don't really know about how that works, but um, I just think that if with the network, I think that would be really, really cool, especially if you've got some friends, yeah. you know, a network of like six people, and you've all got dogs, and you've all let your dogs play and stuff. You all know each other. You all trust each other. You can help I each other out cool and the dog socialize. People, um, do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fantastic idea. And I, I actually, now yeah. that you say it, I want to implement that in my life because <laughs> I've got friends, <laughs> I've got plenty of friends who have dogs, and I think all of our dogs would love a little more exercise. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. CSU is exactly. such a, such a dog-friendly campus there's like a dog park right across where the marching band practices but kind of along with what you were saying um with dogs getting to know people what is the secret for dogs being friendlier to other people like if your friend if your dog's kind of antisocial or aggressive well here's here's the deal what i try to tell people from the very beginning is um there's a one word that i use um there's well there's two words i use in my dog training certification courses and one is socialization, and one is desensitization. And they're two totally different words, especially in the dog training world. Socialization simply means you're going to socialize your dog. You get a dog from an animal shelter. Your dog, all you're doing is you're getting your dog used to people, places, things, all people, old people, young people, kids, um, older, everybody. And the way and what we do is we basically um, socialize them by having everybody give the dog a treat. You know, so everywhere the dog goes, like you tell the person, hey, would you mind giving my dog a treat? You don't have to pet the dog. Just give okay. the dog a treat. If you do that constantly when you socialize the animal, the animal from the very beginning, it's, everything's, on, everything's on the same level, the same playing level. You know what I mean? So now all of a sudden the dog has no reason to have a fear of people because they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, they have some really, really cool stuff for me. And that's really what, that's, that's really what you want to focus on, you know, socializing the animal desensitization, that's a different story. Like you were talking about the dog, you know, biting or barking or something like that. That's a different deal. And if a dog, desensitization simply means that you want to desensitize your dog to a known per, a known person, place, or thing that scares a dog or startles a dog or excites a dog or something to get the dog to where the dog is either gets excited or, you know, aggressive or whatever it is. And the way in both those situations, whether it's desensitization or socialization, we use a high-value treat. A high-value treat could be a billjack treat, um, different types of billjack treats. It could be um, even a piece of uh, chicken or cheese or something like that. But what ends up happening is if you can get that person the dog is kind of concerned about to just simply start giving the dog that treat, that lets the dog on its own start going, you know, I'm not so worried about that person anymore because I'm more interested in what that person has. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's what desens- That's tr- what true desensitization is. What you're doing is you're giving the dog the opportunity to figure out and say, oh, my gosh, you know, it's not really about the fear. I'm, I'm more inter- interested in what he, he or she has. Food, and when you right? can do that, and you just simply, and what dog trainers do is you just build on that and build on it more and more and more. And before you know it, now the dog starts losing the fear that it once had of that person. Because most of the aggression or anyways is going to be out of fear. I mean, almost all aggression situations are out of fear. I mean, you might think it's aggressive. It's like where it looks nasty, but a lot of it starts out of fear, you know, yeah. Yeah. anyways. Awesome. Sounds like dog training has a lot of patience involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it all is. And it's just, you know, it, it's taking one thing, everything one step at a time. It, it's, it's just there's a lot of different variables. I have a website, which is joelsilverman.net. People can go to, and actually they can go online now and they can go and um, – 
we took all the DVD content. It's all up there on the website, the basic intermediate advanced behaviors, and they can go and um, for a small monthly fee, they can go and uh, they have to have a, a little goal plan and they can stream and they can watch on learn and learn from all the different videos that we have, all the different content and stuff. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Right on. And so, um, but it's really about, and we talk, the reason I was mentioning this is because in one of the videos we talk about, um, I give these little you know, one-minute you know, training tips, and one of the tips is just having a goal of what you want to accomplish every session. Just have a goal of what you want to accomplish, and, and keep, keep the bar low. Just keep the bar low. If, okay. the, if the dog exceeds it, that's beautiful. But you don't ever want to be in a situation where the bar is too high, and now all of a sudden you burn the dog out in the training session. Gotcha. You want to keep the training, training session more um, low, less, keep the training session you know, two to three minutes, and leave the dog wanting more. So the dog is like, oh, my gosh, that's it? You know, I can't wait to come back and get, you know, one of these Bill Jack treats. You know, yeah. so that's kind of what you want to do. I like it. Well, speaking of wanting more, unfortunately, we're out of time. But thank you so much for coming on the show, Joel. Uh, I think hey, thank you guys for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad. Uh, I think this is, uh, I know this was helpful for me as a dog owner, and uh, I hope anyone listening with dogs uh, thought the same thing. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's actually, if people could just go to, uh, you know, billjack.com. Um, check out Bill Jack and uh, just learn a little about little, little about them as well. And you can always go to my website, which is joelsilverman.net. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, right on. definitely. Thank you again for coming in. It was very educational, and I'll be sure to implement some of this with my pooch at home. <laughs> right on. All right, Joel. Thank, thank you guys very much. Take care. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right on. So that was Joel Silverman, the uh, Hollywood celebrity dog trainer. Celebrity dog trainer. That is a title I wish I had. That is a title I'm never going to have. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be cool, but uh, not. It would be really cool. uh, I I need to get my little dog trained first. I might use some of those tips. He had me from the beginning. He was like, oh, I've been on Animal Planet. I was like, what? Okay. Like, he had me. I was just listening that entire time. I know. I, I think I own. watched his show when I was a kid. Now okay. I think about it. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of cool. That's that we just. Cool. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Starstruck uh, there. It's a okay. little bit. But enough fan fanboying from me. Uh, <laughs> Dixon, you've got some sports news. Dixon's okay. going to fanboy about some sports. Well, yeah. well you know, it was a. Uh, it was, it was good a bad week for CSU, um, and I'll kind of break it down really quick. Uh, so this past week, we saw some uh, some great successes for the volleyball team, and whereas on the other side, the football team suffered a tough loss up in Arkansas. Uh, starting with the positives for Colorado State, the volleyball team started off Thursday night's doubleheader against Colorado in Moby Arena with a fast and aggressive start, taking CU by surprise and getting a quick and decisive 3-0 shutout win. Um, then traveling down to CU the next night, carried the momentum through the first two sets, uh, before CU rallied to push the match into OT um, in that last set. A uh, quick lead for CSU helped carry them all the way out and get that victory. Uh, these victories were the first for all current players who said in a postgame interview Thursday uh, they have not bested CU and it wasn't motivated for the contest. Um, so that was kind of cool. You know, for the first time, a lot of those uh, players actually finally got to beat Colorado, which, uh, you know, they were ranked team. Really great play all around. Um, after that, though, <clears throat> the soccer team was also down in, or no, they were playing here, but they were playing Denver. Um, they got a close 1-0 win as well. Nice. And then uh, heading over to Arkansas, where a late injury to quarterback Colin Hill stalled what was looking to be an impressive comeback after a slow start for CSU. Uh, came up short, finishing 34-55, to moving the Rams to 1-2 and on the season. They'll be back in Canvas Stadium this Saturday against Toledo. And if you're interested in going to the game, uh, actually tune in tonight to uh, Fantasy Hour, 7-9 to 9 here on KCSU. Uh, we're going to be having a ticket giveaway. Holy um, Toledo. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
gold. That was gold. Thank you. <laughs> uh, be sure to tune in tonight if you're looking to maybe get a few tickets. Um, we're going to have some there. But then for volleyball, they have a super busy schedule this week. Three straight home games. Uh, it's going to start Wednesday. Of course, then that means Thursday and Friday night. Uh, they're going to kick off against uh, Northern Colorado uh, tomorrow night, and then they're going to face Cal Poly on Thursday, finishing Friday night against Oregon State. To hear all these games live, tune in each night to 90.5 KCSU as we'll bring you all of the action from Moby Arena. Thanks, Dixon. Hey, thank you, guys. We really appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you guys having me in once again. Right on. It's a pleasure. It always, it's always nice to have you on. We're going to take a quick break, but once we come back from the break, we will be discussing CSU's blackface incident and talking with our... Uh, expert, a Princeton professor, Dr. Uh, Will Professor Will Penman, mm-hmm. to get some context and insight into this issue. So that that's going to be uh, that's going to be a big one. So if you're interested, please come back for that. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Maximus Hunter, and I'm Ren Wadsworth. And oh, go, go ahead. ahead oh. Thank you. So we're going to do a little bit of a shift turn today, um, and we're actually going to address the incident that happened on campus regarding the blackface of the four students who posted a black a picture on social media in blackface. And before we kick it off with a timeline review, we wanted to give you, uh, our listeners, the opportunity to reach out to us and express your thoughts and concerns and opinions about this situation. So if you have any you want to tell us go ahead and text us at 970-491-5278 once again that's 970-491-5278 and we'll do our best to answer that at the end of the show we'd really love to hear your opinions uh this is such an important topic and it's such a big thing that's going on right now it doesn't seem right unless we get the whole campus communicating with each other so please uh don't be afraid to text us your opinions Um, we will do our best to answer any questions or discuss any ideas brought to us while this conversation goes forward. And uh, just as uh, for total transparency, Rocky Mountain Student Media this week has been working together to try and address this incident as best we can. Uh, We've been working with the Collegian. We've been working with CTV to kind of combine our resources because as student media, we feel we have a responsibility to to – help lead this conversation right and to do it as correctly as we can um so starting that off we wanted to preface this interview with a summary as complete as we have it of what happened um so we're just going to start it off with that so a picture of four csu students wearing blackface appeared on snapchat during the weekend of the 7th and the 8th of september many students at csu were angered not only by the picture itself but but also by the university's response to the incident. The image itself depicted four Colorado State University students, including freshman Liana Kaplan and three unidentified boys. The students were all wearing charcoal face masks, and the two students in the front had their arms crossed. Additionally, the picture was captioned, Wakanda Forever, as a reference to Marvel's Black Panther movie. Shortly after the picture was posted on Snapchat, Deborah Adoro, a freshman studying neurobiology, saw the picture and messages and messaged Kaplan. Adoro asked Kaplan why she posted the picture, and after back and forth between the two girls, in which Adoro stated that Kaplan just didn't get it, in reference to why the picture was so offensive. After Kaplan was approached by Adoro, she deleted the picture off her Snapchat. Kaplan estimates that that picture was on her Snapchat for about two minutes. Oduro claims that Kaplan blocked her on Snapchat directly after she approached her about the picture. 
Adora screenshot the original picture and added her own caption that said, funny how you think this is okay, before posting it on her own personal Instagram with the caption, love going to a PWI or predominantly white school. The picture was then shared by a number of Oduro's friends and then spread across social media. Several students additionally reported the image, including freshman Brianna Abuya, who stated, People should be held accountable for their actions, so I will be reporting it. Aduya wrote in a message to Kaplan, Aduya believes that the cultural significance of the Black Panther movie in the Black community is what makes the image offensive. It would have been a completely different narrative if they just did a face mask and they were like, Hey, just hanging out with my friends, said Abuya. But you're white, you've never been oppressed, and you're using a strong black movie as a reference to what you're doing. On September 10th, an anonymous tweet that was supposedly from the three males in the picture was posted on Twitter. The, the authenticity of the statement has not been confirmed yet. The tweet said that the photo's original purpose was to show friends and family and that they had no idea Leanna had written that, that, race, that racist comment. They went on to say, for that we profusely apologize. It does not represent who we are, and it does not represent CSU students at all. The next day, Colorado State University President Joyce McConnell sent an email to all students and staff at CSU addressing the incident. The letter stated, quote, We know that images like this one, whether consciously racist or not, can perpetuate deliberate racism and create a climate that feels deeply hostile. The email read, it continued saying the university could not take punitive action against the students under the First Amendment and because they had not violated any CSU rules or regulations. In response to McConnell's letters, students wrote phrases in chalk on the Lori Student Center Plaza, such as admin stop protecting racists and admin Joyce McConnell do something. There are also missing posters posted around campus featuring Joyce McConnell with the caption, have you seen her, insinuating that Joyce McConnell was missing and not doing her job. The chalk was erased on Friday morning. On the same day the chalk disappeared from the sidewalk, a petition was created by the Instagram account CSU Memes in hopes that CSU would be held accountable for ignoring racial-related incidents. The anonymous owner of the account wrote in a statement to the Collegian that they started the petition because they felt the university was taking a base approach to dealing with this and other racially motivated incidents on campus. Quote, the goal of the petition was to show CSU how many students were unhappy with the, how the university has handled and approached the several racial and bias-related issues on campus in the last three years. The Coloradoan released a statement on September 13th, emailed to them by Kaplan's father that read, quote, This photo of four white students in blackface is indeed horrendous and understandably appears to portray four racists making fun of African Americans, end quote. It continues to say while Kaplan is, quote, guilty of insensitivity, insensitivity and stupidity, end quote, her actions aren't proportional to death threats and harassments harassment and termination from her job, which the statement says she has experienced. The same day, Joyce McConnell sent a second email to staff and students at CSU, affirming that she understood the harm the image had caused to students and outlined actions she and the other CSU administration planned to take. This included leading conversations around campus and speaking to students of color directly. Later in the day, Colorado State University tweeted about the chalk being washed off during regular maintenance. This is the most up-to-date account of the events of the blackface incident on CSU's campus. We will keep you updated as more information comes to us. Tonight, CTV will be airing a package about the impacts this situation has had on students and staff around campus. On Thursday, we'll have a roundtable about institutionalized racism and if CSU is inherently racist. Now, the word racist has been thrown around a lot lately, and we actually had the opportunity to interview Dr. Will Penman from 
uh, Princeton, Princeton University. Sorry about that. And discuss the rhetoric of racism with him. And without any further ado, here is Dr. Will Penman. Hey, Dr. Penman, how are you? Hi, good. Good. Uh, just to just to preface this interview, would you mind telling us uh, what race you identify as? Yep, I'm a white person. Sounds good. All right, and I'm I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but as a white man, what qualifies you to speak on this uh, sensitive topic? Oh, um, that's a good question. I mean, I can't really speak to the pain that blackface causes, so instead, my research is really focused on responding, and I think that's something that all white people need to work on, and so that's um, one of the areas that I'm working on. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, for those people listening at home that may not have a, a concrete working definition, what is racism, at least in your mind, Dr. Penman? For me, racism boils down to pain and harm and suffering being caused to someone uh, on the basis of what we call race. So going a little bit more in depth, uh, would you be able to describe and define institutional racism to us? Sure. Institutional racism is a way to try to address how people participate in racism. Uh, in other words, it's a way to think about racism that goes beyond our intention. So rather than just thinking interpersonally, I offended you, institutionalized racism is a way to think about how I am part of a system that causes that pain, harm, and suffering. With this recent blackface incident on our campus, I think a lot of people felt like people were being singled out and uh, a lot of fingers were being pointed. And the, the lens of institutional racism, I think, is a, a good way to look at the, the mechanics of the thing as a whole rather right, than... the actions taken. He said, she said, yeah. Um, and that ties into your background a little bit. So uh, for those listeners that don't know, uh, Professor Penman works at Princeton University and uh, had uh, a pretty interesting dissertation working with white people on racism. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Sure. So I was working with people who were out of college maybe for the last five, ten years or so, so kind of starting to become established as adults. And I would say really around the Black Lives Matter movement, came into a more systemic understanding of racism, just what we were talking about. Um, and along with that, that stirred up a lot of new feelings and ideas about what it means to act against racism. And so my dissertation was a process of walking with them, working with them uh, to take those next steps. Uh, where people were observing racism was uh, pretty diverse, depending on their own kind of life situation. And so one of the big insights that I found is that a lot of growth involves discovering racism in yourself and around you. Um, so that really means that there needs to be a lot of self-involvement. Growing in racism isn't just about learning new knowledge. It's about kind of reincorporating that into a sense of who you are and what you're doing in the world. That's really that's really powerful yeah. because no one wants to be called a racist, and you're saying that people should should look at the racism that they commit themselves, look at themselves and see how they interact with this institutionalized framework of racism. Yeah. So, do yep. you think that labeling things and actions as racist helps combat the issues presented? I think it depends on who you are. I think it depends on if you can stand to hear it or not. Right. Um, so 
So, for instance, in the incident that happened at CSU, one way to apply this is actually to not so much focus on the people involved, but to focus on ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I could kind of talk you through some of those steps if you'd be interested. Well, I think that would be uh, awesome I to think hear. that would be perfect. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, one question that I hear around this, and I think that you guys are kind of getting at, is a question of, well, how racist is it, or is it helpful to even call it racist? And um, I think it's important to kind of first reframe that question because that's a question about labeling. It doesn't really have much to do with myself, right? Yeah. So a way to kind of bring that more into reality is to say, well, how much does it harm people? You know, not to get into kind of professor mode. I won't kind of force you to answer all these kind of questions. But I think you could easily say, well, probably different amount." that already begins to shift the question in kind of a helpful way. It reframes it because now it's a question of assessing what is our impact on other people. And what's, what's important there is that that's a question that the answer can change depending on your own knowledge. So if you don't have a knowledge of the history of blackface, then your answer of how much does that harm other people, people who you don't know or connect with, that's a different response or answer to that than if you have a much more extensive background. In, a, in an incident like this one that just happened, I think maybe the students who took the picture were less aware of kind of the gravity of the symbols they were using. And while some people on campus were much more aware of that history and it really impacted them. So now after the fact that this has happened, uh, what can we as a campus do to potentially uh, prevent future incidents like this from happening and help educate people about these, these about, you know, words and actions that cause this kind of pain and harm? Yeah, I mean, I think one, one approach is to go uh, kind of top down and say, start institutionally, mm-hmm. and that will gradually trickle into the way people feel. Um, and so that is one way of seeing what's happening at a university level. Um, another approach would be to start from kind of bottom up. Um, I think since I was working uh, in my dissertation work with a group of people who were not kind of representing an institution, that's kind of more of where my research is focused on, mm-hmm. is where can people individually go? So here, I guess my kind of next question, once you're kind of framing it in terms of being hurt or harmed, like, how does blackface happen? Right. If you look at the way that it's been responded to in this case, a couple of the people essentially weren't even involved, right? Yeah. It was kind of one person who essentially got carried away, I guess I would, I would kind of put it, or based on the responses I've seen there. And so that's a question to me. Um, what is it about our ways of life that mean that if we get carried away, it will lead to taking racist actions? It's a powerful question. As a campus, can people develop the relationship with people of color right. that allow them to not do blackface in the first place? This question about relationship can be pretty complex. So... If we're looking at the movie Black Panther, right, and that's a positive portrayal of right. people of color. Um, it's also a, a, 
cool, pop culture, famous thing, and it really, it's a kind of superhero movie, yeah. right? So a lot of those are indicators of that's okay for that to kind of be part of yourself. I could dress up as Iron Man, and that's not going to create the same kind of questions as if you were giving the Wakanda Forever right. symbol. And so I think there's actually, even though you can ask the question, what's our relationship to people of color that enable blackface to happen? I think for a lot of people, uh, they settle at, well, I just shouldn't do that. And they don't actually address the deeper questions and feelings involved here. Because I think for a lot of people, it's a little bit counterintuitive to say, oh, what? Well, they can do it and I can't. Those um, are questions that people have. And if, those don't, if people don't find places to surface those questions and work through them, by working through, I mean kind of um, learning appropriate responses to those, then I think what it creates is a kind of indigestion, you know, right. a kind of situation where people feel forced into doing something. And so if you, if you can't address this question of, well, how can something not be for me as a white person? then there's kind of a conceptual but also an emotional barrier to really taking some next steps there. It, as um, white people, how, because both, both Ren and I are, are white, um, how should we look at something like that? If we, if we, we don't want to have that kind of indigestion where we, we can't, we can't be a part of it and we can't talk about it and we want to be able to be open and have these kind of conversations and not hurt people. What kind of steps right. can we take? Well, I think broadly the goal there is to build tolerance for discomfort. Um, and that I kind like of that. goes back to being approached and rebuked, right? At first it was a very personal um, encounter and that's kind of an opportunity there to let that discomfort of saying you hearing that you've done the wrong thing kind of run through you and be okay so what we did in my dissertation research is we worked on uh, creating a space to debrief and that was just kind of a tool for us that i would maybe compare to getting like a personal trainer um if the goal of exercise is to be in a kind of better bodily state where uh, you're able to handle very mild discomfort and you're on to much more challenging discomfort, then there's, I think, a racial parallel as well. And a lot of us are kind of racial couch potatoes. Yeah, so what we did is we kind of created almost like a, um, a training group that was led by someone who was a little bit more in shape than we were. <laughs> you know, um, I think another kind of parallel here is that you know, if you have, like, the one friend who's just jacked and you've never lifted, lifted weight, right? it's a little bit of an imposition to just expect that that person would teach you everything that they know. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's definitely that tendency where white people kind of just want a black person to tell them everything that they should do. And I think especially at a campus that is as homogeneous as CSU is, mm -hmm. it's important to also create those spaces where you're kind of committed to training and being trained 
even with other white people. And for us, that was a long-term thing. We did it over the course of essentially a whole school year, even though it didn't kind of map that way. Right. Um, but I think that's, in my mind anyway, um, that's what's needed. We need long-term effort to support each other and learn from each other um, to build up kind of this strength and uh, ability to see ourselves in a new way in the world. Yeah. This situation, this incident has come into the limelight. It's made national news. Um, and I wanted to get your opinion on if you thought that was a positive thing, because there have been racial instances on CSU's campus that haven't gotten as much attention because of that same reason that maybe students felt uncomfortable talking about it. And so kind of wanted to see what your thoughts are were on that. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have a lot of wisdom here. I think Sometimes pressure can help people re-examine themselves. And sometimes pressure, for some people, it will just make them shut down. Right. So um, my research has really focused on people who have made it to that first step already. People who have said, whoa, there's some stuff here that I just didn't even, wasn't even aware of. I think what you should do is stay in that tension and paradox. That's why we need to be <laughs> supporting each other is because this is kind of an emotional component that actually relates to how you communicate. Right. Right. In the same way that um, communicating about putting on a beauty mask and things like that. Right. The so same kind of argument those is... Tensions, those tensions, I think, are a really productive space of possibility. And so that's where my research has started, is are you experiencing those tensions? If so, let's go further. That's so. Um, some people kind of focus on almost like converting white people into understanding and sensing those, and that's a difficult task. I don't have any wisdom there. You know, I kind of um, wait for people uh, to come into that because that's my own story. I, th I think that's a really powerful point. Is when you when you think you solved the uh, the found the answer to the question how to not be racist, you've you kind of stopped trying, haven't you? And sure. part of yeah. part part of it is the exploration of of constantly exploring that question and constantly trying to be aware of it. And that I th that brings me to what I think is going to be our our last point for today. Um, and so I I do believe that some of the students who were involved in this incident will probably be listening to this. And uh, I I really think that's important that that you're right that it is it's about being willing to discuss it. And I think these these students have been thrown into a conversation about racism that they may not have been ready to have, but now they are they are taking part in that conversation. They are full active participants. So if you had something to say to those students who are who are learning about racism and a history of, of pain um, and are trying to navigate being better, what would you say to them? What would you advise them to do? I think first I would say it's popular to talk about uh, getting everyone into a conversation about race. That's kind of a popular metaphor. And for people who have been blamed in this way, uh, and that includes the people who have directly been blamed, but also sometimes kind of we feel blamed just as fellow white people, when you're feeling blamed, it doesn't feel like much of a conversation. It feels more like, oh, well, I just need to do this. And from my perspective, that's actually something to lean into. I think this is 
I think the metaphor of a conversation misleads us about what we as white people have to offer here. Until we've been working on this uh, and making this into a kind of lifelong practice. Um, so that would be the first thing I would say, is that it's okay to kind of be instructed about what to do. In fact, one of the things that I discovered when I was working on my dissertation is that sometimes your actions can lead you beyond where you're actually feeling. So that would be kind of my second piece of advice, is that there is a, a call and an offer here from people of color to enter in beyond what feels reasonable in this moment. And I think it would be interesting if I were one of those people, I think I would probably attend the, the very protest against the university that would create a kind of disciplinary risk. <laughs> and the reason why I would do that is because if joining with people of color to say that this is a structural issue and that that's the piece that connects us all. I haven't done blackface, but, you know, you signed up to go to a certain college. You're gradually, as an emerging adult, taking more and more steps that have the possibility of reproducing a very segregated life. And so the inability to assess what kind of harm will this cause people of color is something that happens systemically. And I think it would be really interesting to see the people who are kind of the tip of the iceberg here join in with the call to say that there are actually structural issues that need to be addressed here. I think that would be powerful. Because yeah. addressing those structural issues helps us as white people come into these deeper and fuller relationships. Absolutely. And I think you were, I, I think it was so brilliant what you said earlier about as a school, we should be practicing talking about race issues and the history of, a history of, of hurt more yeah. and get better at hearing blame. And we, sh we could work on that as an institution. I think, uh, yeah, you've, you've given all of us a lot to think about, myself especially. So thank you so much, Professor Penman, for talking with us and being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us. And I think this will be a really powerful piece for students and staff and faculty alike to hear. So thank you for sharing with us what you've uh, researched. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really just kind of speaking from what I've learned. I have a long way to go myself. That was Professor Will Penman from Princeton University. Um, and personally, that was uh, almost therapeutic for me mm -hmm. in a way. I think uh, he, he showed all of us some really good ways to kind of look at this conversation going on about racism and about racism and about people who do racist stuff and kind of think about it in less of a label right. labeling he said she said way and it's it's something we need to practice and something we need to grow in and so i really uh love that he was able to have that conversation with us yeah definitely sadly it is the end of our show uh that went by way faster than i expected Sad. it to go but uh it is just about over but we would uh, like to plug some upcoming Rocky Mountain student media things uh, going on regarding this blackface incident because we will be talking about this all week. Uh, so, Ren, you want to talk about what some of our other departments are doing? Definitely, definitely. So throughout the week, CTV is going to be doing 
uh, they're going to be covering the impacts that this situation and this incident has had on students and staff around campus and kind of some opinions about it, uh, good or bad. And then on Thursday, the Collegian's going to release a piece about uh, the history of racist uh, instances on CSU's campus and how that leads to this uh, situation right now. And then on Thursday, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a roundtable about the institutionalized racism on campus, and if CSU is inherently racist, and that's gonna be with Deborah Aduro. And she's actually the student who uh, originally reposted the Snapchat and uh, reported it. And so we're gonna have a few experts in here. We're gonna have Deborah, and we're gonna be talking about how we feel as a campus about where we are with this incident, what we feel like we need to improve on. And we really, uh, we want to get a variety of voices in here and listen. And uh, if, if you're actually someone who wants to take part in that conversation, uh, please get in contact with us. Uh, you can always text us at 970-491-5278. Or um, if you would rather send us a little bit of a longer form email uh, and you want to be a part of this conversation, go ahead and shoot us an email at news at kcsufm.com. And uh, we'd love to hear your opinions. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We want to make this upcoming uh, discussion on Thursday something that we do with CSU and with the student body and with the faculty and with the campus. So the more people we get involved, the better. Um, We're really excited for that one. But with that, it is the end of our show. And so we've got to do some thank yous. Yeah, we do. As per always. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So first of all, we'd love to thank Damien Castile for this music that is playing right now uh, and all the music that plays in the show because it's awesome. I'm still not over it. It's been weeks. (laughs) I know. I love it. And then we've got to thank our local reporter, Coda Babcock, and our sports director, Dixon Lawson. As well as Joey for his contributions to today's show. Mm -hmm. Um, We absolutely have to thank uh, Joel Silverman for his phone interview with us, as well as Will Penman for that awesome conversation. Uh, Today's show would not have been made possible without our awesome guests, so thank you guys so much. We need to thank Hannah and Julia, who are some of our bosses who let us do what we do. Our producers. Zay, Zay, of course, too, and Pete. Um, And I think, you know, I'd like to thank you, Ren, because uh, I couldn't do this show alone, and you're awesome, and you help me do this show, show, and I help you do this show. Yeah, thank you. I could not do this show alone, my goodness. Yeah, I'm I'm just so glad to have such a good co-host. Hey, I feel the same way, and I'm really, I'm really... uh, glad to be here with you and we got to thank our listeners because uh without you guys we would just be kind of talking into the air and what's the point of radio for doing that so thank you so much for your continued listening and i hope we are doing you proud kcsu or csu all of us we'll see you on thursday see you next time